The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made it his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let's pray. Lord, uh, thank you for this passage, and thank you for the gospel and just for who you are. I pray for John as he comes up this morning that you just give him the confidence, the boldness uh, he needs to preach the gospel this morning. Uh, Give him your words and your heart, and would you encourage him today? And I pray for us as a church uh, that we would just have open hearts and open minds uh, to hear from you, the true and living God. So teach us to be more like you and less like ourselves. pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you. Well, good morning, Grace City. What's happening today? Yeah, let's go. Good morning. Hey, let me get my timer started here. I got some cousins in town from out of town, and I promised I would not be boring. So that that also means that I need to stay within a certain time limit. You know what I'm saying? So it's a bold promise. I hope, hope I can fulfill it. Uh, but good morning, Grace City. My name is John. I am a pastor over at New Vision uh, Church in City Heights. Um, and man, I love Grace City. I love this church. I love your leadership. I love your pastor, Randall. He's the man. Uh, he, he, one of the things I love about his heart uh, for the city and for the church as a whole, he was speaking at a, a college retreat that I was at, uh, I guess in October. And one of the last days he was talking about how people often come to him and say, man, San Diego has so many churches. Why are there so many churches? And uh, he said, you know what he always says is, you know, actually, no, we are one church with one mission to proclaim and show God's grace and goodness and gospel to every single person in the city. And I just love that because that is his heart. That is the heartbeat of this church. And so it is a pleasure to be here with you this morning. If you are new and you're looking for a church, you have arrived. Check it out. You know, check this place out. Give it a chance. Um, we are going to continue in our series in Philippians, but before we do that, I wanted to, I'm a betting man. I don't know if you guys are. Um, I do like card games. I like poker. You know, I like uh, blackjack occasionally, but I'm going to bet you guys uh, that I can say a word and that every single person in this room will be able to uh, feel and relate to this word. All right. And if 
someone in this room does not relate to this word, then come talk to me afterward. I have a prize for you. I didn't really prepare what the prize was, so I'll have to think of it on the spot if you come up, because I'm really not, I'm banking on everyone relating to this word. But the word is distraction, right? I see some smiles, I see some nods. Every single person in this room can relate to the word distraction, right? We live in the age of distraction. I I had this uh, moment (laughs) this week where I I started to think, oh no, I have a problem with my phone because I I was uh, helping my kids. I think I was putting them to bed or giving them a bath or something. And all of a sudden I felt the, the vibration from my phone on my leg right here. I always have my phone right here, but I went to go check the, vi- the, the notification, but there was no phone there. You know what I'm saying? It's like, th- that's when you know that it's bad, right? The distraction. It's, it's like these, these, ghost vi- these ghost notifications that are just there. It's, it's like in my leg now, right? But so distraction, it could be all kinds of things, right? It's social media, it's our phone. We literally have the world in this little four inch thing. I'm guilty of it all the time. Right? If I'm just sitting and I have a moment where I have nothing going on, what am I going to do? Read sports articles. Look at what's going on on Instagram. Look at the news. Right? We all are subject and are guilty of doing those things. But distractions can also be good things, necessary things, things that we have to do. Right? A lot of times uh, we have family or children or hobbies or chores, things that we have to do that can often feel like they're distracting us from accomplishing things that we want to accomplish. And if we take it another step, we think about the spiritual sense of distraction. How much, when we're thinking about our relationships with God or trying to walk with God, when we think about the distractions or the things that distract us from knowing God, man, the list goes on and on and on, at least for myself. And so we get this opportunity in Philippians, in this particular passage of scripture, to talk through and work through what a life of focus and intentionality can look like in the Christian life. Now, uh, we've been talking through Philippians uh, for the past several weeks. It's the sermon series going on here at Grace City. We have a few more weeks left in it. Um, But a couple of the things that have, a reoccurring things that I'm sure have come up over the past few weeks are two things that I love about the book of Philippians. First is that Paul, the person who wrote the book of Philippians, writing to the church in Philippi, loves the church of Philippi. Now, a lot of times we see uh, Paul, he has, he's one of the, the, the main authors of the New Testament with several different letters written to several different places. And some of these letters he wrote to regions for churches to kind of circulate them. So he wrote like general things that a church in a particular area might be wrestling with or general theological treatises or uh, uh, foundational principles that would be kind of a universal truth for people in a different region. But Philippians is different because it's Paul is writing to a particular group of people that he loves, knows, cares for deeply. And if you guys want to do some homework this week, read Acts 16 and look at why that might be. It is a crazy story of how Paul got diverted multiple times to go to this place called Philippi to reach the city. And he kind of fell upon people that uh, he wasn't expecting to fall upon that came to know Jesus and started the church there. He loves them. He knows them. He cares about them. The second thing is that there's kind of these themes of the end of life in 
the book of Philippians. You can tell that Paul is kind of going through something in his spirit. He's going through something in his mind. He's going through something in his world where he's thinking and contemplating a little bit more than usual, possibly, about what life after death would look like. He's thinking, he's, he's writing this book in prison, which means that there's probably an underlying sense of suffering that is going on with him. And he's thinking about, man, I have really, I, I feel called to this place, to this earth, to these people, but man, I want to go be with Jesus and to not suffer anymore. I just want to go and be with my Savior. And we see that in chapter one where he talks about the most amazing, the coolest, one of the coolest mantras in the Bible is where he says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know which one I want more. And so two characteristics, he loves them, and he's also thinking about, toward the end of his life, man, what kinds of things can I really tell these people that I care about and love? What are the core values that I've learned over time, through persecution, through suffering, through spending time with Jesus and other people for all these years, what are the core things that I would tell someone, these loved ones, about what it is to walk with Jesus and to know Jesus? And it, uh, as we read today, as we read Philippians, one of the things is I was thinking about the tone or even when I do read the book of Philippians, I just think of it as Paul, not this like apostle Paul distant 2000 years ago, Paul, but this almost like this great uncle Paul, who is someone that you respect and look up to immensely, that truthfully you would want to be like, hopefully when you grow up. And it's this really unique moment where you can sit down next to Uncle Paul and listen and ask questions and listen to him just give you wisdom. And to really feel known by him and to really feel like, whoa, I want to be like that and to internalize the kinds of things you're saying. Uncle Paul. So as we get to our, our, our verses today in chapter 3, I would just hope that we would internalize that and take into account as we think about and read what Paul is telling us today, that it wouldn't be the distant 2,000 years ago Paul, but it would be the Paul that through the power of the Holy Spirit 2,000 years later knows you, loves you, and wants you to know something deeply important for your life with God. And so let's go ahead and pick up in chapter 3, verse 12. And uh, we're going to be talking about three kind of ideas from this passage. The first is the ultimate goal of the Christian life. The second kind of theme that we're going to be looking at is a life of focus and intentionality. And finally, we're going to see Paul kind of shares with us two kinds of lives. Now, let's go ahead and pick up in chapter 3, verse 12. He says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And one of the first things when we look at this is to ask the question, what does this or it refer to in, in verse 12? Now, chapter three was kind of written, it, wasn't, it was written as like one thought process, right? So for, for, this, for the sake of kind of well, how we're breaking up the different passages, we're breaking up into two different weeks, two different sermons, but really the idea is the same. He's continuing his thought. And so what he's doing in verse 12 is that he's referring back to what you guys talked about last week. 
He's saying not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Now, what is he referring to? Last week, we saw two different versions of Paul, right? The same goal-oriented, driven kind of Paul, but two very different objects of his devotion, two very different goals. The first, where he talks about this idea that um, if anyone were to brag about who they were and the uh, virtuous life that you could have lived, it would have been him. And he talks about how he was the Pharisee of Pharisees, and he was as zealous as you possibly could be for the God that he understood at the time. However, Paul's devotion to God through strict adherence to the law, he says, was actually missing the point. He actually says, all that that I did, all that strict adherence and the zeal that I had to follow the law was pointless. It was trash in comparison to the glorious riches of Jesus Christ. Now, remember, Paul had this dramatic encounter with Jesus as he was going to Damascus to persecute Christians. And it radically transformed his life to the point where his devotion and his goals completely and radically changed. From devotion and zeal to abiding by the law, he went to complete devotion and zeal to knowing Jesus Christ. He says this in verse 10 through 11. He says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. I might share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. His goal, the ultimate goal for Paul, is to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. Now that know in the Greek is both an intellectual know. He wants to know Jesus in the sense that I want to know about who he is, but it's also a know of an experiential know. A, a one that is like, I want to know who Jesus is, but I also want to experience Jesus in my life. The resurrected Savior who came to live a perfect life, he died on the cross and was resurrected and now lives again the third day. That is the Jesus that I want to know. If you've been around the church at all, we always talk about this idea of connecting the head and the heart. A lot of times we can know a lot about the Bible. We can know a lot about Jesus. We can know a lot about theological principles and ideas, but the trick is how do we connect the no in our head to the no in our heart? The no in our heart that actually produces the fruit of God in our lives where our heart is actually being transformed to be able to have our lives look like and be like the resurrected savior, Jesus Christ that we would love like Jesus loved, that we would have peace in our souls in the midst of the crazy chaos of our world, that we can have patience even when kids are being crazy and are not listening to me yesterday. It's this idea that Jesus, knowing Jesus in our soul, transforms us, that we have a new lens in which we see the world. Our world may never change. The suffering may never change. The stress may never change. The, the, the juggling all the different things and wearing all the different hats may never change. But what can change is knowing Jesus Christ in our souls and he will change us from the inside out. 
This is Paul's ultimate goal. It's to not just know Jesus intellectually, but to know him by experiencing him and to be uh, transformed by him. Paul's ultimate goal is to be be consumed with knowing God. Now, as we go back to verse 12, we know what the object of the this and the it are. And so what is then Paul saying? He says, not that I have already obtained this knowledge of Jesus or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make the knowledge of Jesus my own. And what's Paul saying here? This is Uncle Paul. This is Paul, the unfiltered Paul, the Paul that is being real, is saying, man, I still have not arrived. I still have work to do. I still fall short. Even though he has such an incredible pedigree, even though he is the famous Paul who is the bringer of the gospel to the the Gentile world, he still fails to know God perfectly. And he even talks about this idea of resurrection a lot in the book of Philippians, is that he acknowledges that he probably won't know Jesus perfectly until heaven. And that's why he wants to be there. He wants to know God perfectly. He gets glimpses, but he wants to fully know God. Now, if, if, if Paul cannot actually know God perfectly, why in the world does Paul continue to press on towards this unattainable goal? Now, we know that Paul is kind of this goal-oriented individual. You see it a lot in his writings. He uses a lot of these terminology of athletics, and we'll see this in a sec, but of just idea of pursue, winning a race or, or receiving a prize at the end of something. He's driven. He has a single-minded focus. And even in our society, uh, you know, we love SMART goals, right? We love SMART goals. And the A in SMART goals is attainable. Knowing God is not necessarily, on this side of heaven, is not necessarily a smart goal, according to the attainable part, right? So what is it that drives Paul to endure what he endures? What drives him to continue to pursue Jesus, even though his pursuing of Jesus put him in prison? Why in the world would he continue, and why even bother Uh, I love how Paul answers this question, and he answers this as we continue in verse 12. He says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And what I love about that is that what drove Paul was not his personal accolades. It wasn't a pat on the back. It wasn't fame. It wasn't the number of churches planted. It wasn't how many converts he made. It wasn't even necessarily attaining the goal of fully knowing Jesus. But what drove Paul to tirelessly pursue Christ in his life was that Jesus Christ made Paul his own. In other words, a deep sense of the gospel. Paul knew where he came from. He knew what he was rescued from. And he was blown away that God would say, Paul, I want you, not just to be the missionary to the Gentile world, not just to be one of the main authors of the New Testament, but I want you, Paul, because you are my son. I love you. I don't care if you've persecuted people in my name. I want to forgive you of that. I want to call you, give you a new identity 
You're not Saul anymore, you're now Paul. And I want to transform your life. For us, what does that even look like? When we want to pursue Christ at all costs, no matter the obstacles, we, we, want, we want to have our lives be transformed into the image of who God is. We want to be good ambassadors and representatives of him to the world around us. We want to experience more of this supernatural kind of love. We want to experience more of this joy. We want to do all these things for God, but let's follow in Paul's example and let's think about, man, why do I even do that? It's because Christ first saved me. I was gonna bring a friend of mine that I work with over at New Vision. Uh, uh, Randall knows him, his name's Carmelo. And I love Pastor Carmelo uh, for a lot of reasons. His personality is so fun, all these different things. But one of the things I love about Carmelo is his testimony. This guy uh, grew up, I, I had to do this, I was in seminary, I took this class on um, uh, drug addiction, recovery, and ministry kind of thing. And I, I interviewed him about his kind of, his story. And this guy kind of grew up in, um, a family and a different uh, situation in Mexican mafia kind of things. Dr uh, a lot of drug dealing, gangs. Uh, he started smoking cigarettes and weed at the age of six. Could you even imagine, right? And so he was just kind of running, gunning, dealing, all these different things, uh, stealing cars, doing really bad things, was just uh, addicted to anything and everything. And in solitary confinement one time, after stealing a car and doing it in a, this, like, uh, what is it called? The, speed chase, high speed chase with the cops. Um, in solitary confinement, he found Jesus. <laughs> he talks about this dramatic, it's almost like this Paul finding, or Jesus finding Paul moment. But his whole demeanor, his whole life was completely changed, radically changed. And so he cannot help but think, man, I can't, what Jesus did for me, he gave me a new identity from this to now this. Now, my, the, what I love about that is that my story is not that at all. <laughs> I grew up in a pastor's home uh, in a relatively uh, healthy environment, thank goodness. And obviously did stupid things and, and, and did silly things that kids do. But for the most part, had a solid foundation of faith in Jesus implanted in me from a young age, which I'm thankful for. But still, even for me, is this idea that I'm not going to do any of this until I understand and recognize the power of the gospel in me. That Jesus saw me and he saw Carmelo and he said, you know what? I, you are my sons. I love you. I want to die for every sin that you've ever committed. And I want to give you new life so that you can live a transformed life with Christ. So what does that mean for us, Grace City? It means that the gospel of grace is transformative power. It is the catalyst, it is the thing, the foundation that propels any of us to do anything. It's to understand that we have been saved from death and that we've been given a new identity as sons and daughters of the King. The gospel is transformative power. Soak it in, dwell on it, meditate on it. As we continue, Paul kind of gives us these things. Uncle Paul kind of talks to us about this, what it looks like to have the goal, the ultimate goal of Jesus Christ and knowing him and ultimately doing it because Jesus Christ saw each one of us and said, I want you and my family. 
but he also kind of gives us this thing of what it actually looks like. That he, asks, he calls us into a life of focus and intentionality with the Christian life. He, says, he continues, he says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, I, I love uh, biographies. I love what especially of uh, successful people, it's so interesting to kind of see the inner workings of people that have, have accomplished a lot in their lives. And I also love sports, right? And so uh, there, there's a couple of documentaries, docu-series that, I, that I've been watching recently. There's one that's out right now about Derek Jeter called The Captain, right? So it's like this inside look into the formation of this person. But there's also one that's on Netflix right now uh, called The Last Dance, and it's basically about Michael Jordan and his last season with the Bulls. And it is, it's all, if you're any kind of a basketball fan, any kind of a sports fan, or just, any, just wanna watch something really entertaining, I would highly recommend watching The Last Dance on Netflix. But one of the things that I, you notice about Michael Jordan pretty quick, and there's all these debates about who's the greatest of all time, all these things, but one of the things that everyone will always say is that Michael Jordan, what set him apart was obviously he had the physical ability, right? He always had the physical ability, but he wasn't necessarily the most physically talented or had the most skill. But what set him apart from everyone else was his maniacal focus and competition. Like he would literally, people would interview him and, and there's all these things that he would always be the first one in, last one out of the gym, right? that he would literally manufacture situations in his mind of people talking trash to him on the court, things that never happened, but in his mind, he would manufacture things in his head to give him the drive to beat that person. <laughs> Absolutely maniacal, like on a different level, co competitive, focused, driven. And people always say that the reason why he is, was as great as he was, was because he lived, breathed, wanting to beat every single human being that he came in encounter with in everything that he did, and basketball being the main one, right? Now, this focus and intentionality, this is not quite the same kind of thing as Paul, right? Because Paul wasn't doing it for this competition to beat people, right? His goal was Jesus. <laughs> but what I think we could take away from this and some of the things that we see in the way Paul writes about this is that he very much uses imagery of athletics, and of being successful and attaining a prize. He actually talks about this goal of knowing Jesus that we already talked about, this goal, he reframes it and says it as this is a prize. And he talks about the Christian life and all the distractions, all the things going on, that in order to actually attain the prize, attain knowing Jesus, both intellectually and experientially, that we must press on. Press on is a, is, is a word that's repeated often in this. Press on toward the goal, the prize of the upper call of Christ Jesus. And uh, there's this commentator that talked about this upper call of uh, God in Christ Jesus. Like what, what does, what does uh, Paul mean here? And I love what he said about Paul. He says, Paul lives for a day when the heavenward call would come like a victory in a race. Rather than slack off or as some were prone to do, the thought of it motivated him to further purity and service. He would get to know every dimension of Christ, his reign and his suffering through every means. The joy of the process kept him going, but he realized that the ultimate joy was the completion of God's work in his life. 
It's this idea that what motivated Paul was the constant prize and the constant journey to know Jesus more. He had his eyes set on eternity. He could not wait to be with Jesus. And we see that in chapter one. But Paul continues on and he talks about more of what that means to accomplish or go after the prize. He said, forget what lies behind. Now, what might that mean, right, in, in our life? You know, um, what, one of the things, uh, sorry for all the sports analogies, <laughs> this might lose people. Uh, one of the things, I love baseball. One of the things in baseball that they always say, especially when a person is mired in a big time slump, like say, I went 0 for 50. Like I literally haven't had a hit in a month. One of the things that they always talk about with those guys is you have to have a short memory. You literally have to be good at forgetting. Because if you dwell on the fact that you're 0 for 50, you will continue to, to fail every single time. They always talk about you have to forget the last at-bat, forget the last game, because the next at-bat is the next opportunity to get out of the slump. In some ways, uh, when we relate it back to our, our spiritual lives, some of it is thinking and identifying what are those things from our past or that are behind us that are weighing us down or distracting us from seeing and accomplishing uh, or find, seeing Jesus as Lord of our lives. And so they could be a lot of things. For Paul, part of it was his personal accolades. He might've been thinking, man, I had it all. I, was, I had the money, I had the reputation, I had the fame, I, had the, the, I, I, was, I was an upstanding person in this society, everyone who I, who I was, and now I'm in prison. This is not fun, right? I wanna go back to that. But no, he says, no, Jesus is my goal. It could be good things. It can also be bad things. I don't know where you have come from or, or, or what you have done. But what Jesus, sometimes our, our past, especially things that were done to us or things that we might have done can weigh us down, guilt and shame that are weighing us down and we feel unash, uh, uh, unable to approach the throne of grace because of the things that we've done. The gospel of grace is sufficient to pay for all of the things that you have ever done. It doesn't matter what you have done or the ways that you have fallen short. Today, we're going to have people praying for us in the front. If there is something that is weighing you down, if there's something that from your past, either that has been done to you or that you have done that is creating, causing shame where you feel unable to approach the throne of grace, unable to fully bring your full self to this community, would you please take a step of faith to come talk to someone and ask them to pray for you? In your community groups or your city groups and your discipleship groups, that is what those times are. It's the things that are, are in the back of my mind, the things that I've never said to anyone, the things that are like, man, if anyone ever found out, I would be excommunicated from this place. Those thoughts, if you have ever had any of those thoughts, they are preventing you from knowing and experiencing the fullness of Jesus Christ. If that is you, which it is all of us, I, I have that. So it, most likely it's all of us. There are things that we need to be able to acknowledge and confess the ways that we have fallen short, the things that we are, are ashamed of, the guilt and we need to bring those to Jesus, but we also need to bring them to each other in community. That is the, church is great and Sunday mornings are awesome and listening to a preacher preach words is great, but honestly, what the church is, it's the Monday through the Sunday. It is the life in community with one another. It's the sharing of our burdens. It's confessing our sin. It's saying, I need help. 
I feel shame. I, I feel like I'm unworthy to be here. I wrestle with this. This is the place where we bring those things. If we cannot be real and authentic in a community of God, then where can we be re- real and authentic? Leave the things behind, the past, the guilt and the shame, even the good things. Confess those things, bring them in community. And the next thing he says is strain forward to what lies ahead. This idea of straining forward, if you guys have ever seen, I, I forget her name, but this woman just absolutely smoked the world record in hurdles. I forget the, the distance, but I don't know if you guys saw that. She just absolutely crushed the world record, which I think she might have had. But it's when you watch these races and these athletes that are running, there is just like a, an intense focus on what lies ahead. They are straining everything in their bodies. If you guys have ever competed in anything, there's this idea of that moment where you're like, I have to give it all. I don't feel like I have it in the tank, but I need to go until I pass out kind of mentality. And that's what I think he's saying is the strain forward to what lies ahead. In Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, I I love this because the the author of of Hebrews kind of says something very similar. He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so closely entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that has been set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. There are things that we are in our lives currently, now, that are weighing us down. The same challenge to all of us is the same challenge for what in our past. It's we need to come together as a community with people that we trust and say, hey, these things are weighing me down. You know, I actually just called, I I have a good friend that's a counselor uh, and, you know, there's, I was dealing with like stress, anxiety, all these kind of things in my mid twenties. And we we were walking through some things together for a few years. Um, I'm transitioning from an old uh, career with crew and moving into a kind of a new place. And we, we have a lot of different things and changes going on with the family. And I, I've been starting to feel like, like little things are starting to, to spark like angry reactions. Like if, if, uh, if there's chaos with the kids, all of a sudden I just go like, oh, I can't, oh, I can't deal. It's whatever it is, there's something going on inside of me that I'm not, I, I'm just not able to respond in a Christ-like patient way. And so I actually called them. I was like, Hey, Don, um, you busy <laughs> for like the next two years, <laughs> every week <laughs> for an hour, uh, you know, that kind of thing. So we need, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you are a whatever or whatever. We need people in our lives to help us process and, and the things that so easily entangle us. So there's nothing else that we can, we can take from today. It's this idea of this community is here for us to run the race with endurance to see and find the goal of Christ Jesus. As we continue, because I know it is hot. Uh, verse 17 says, uh, brothers, join us in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. I think this is a really, uh, it's pretty self-explanatory, but I think it's really important in our day and age, mainly because what are the metrics that we are using for who we should follow? What are the metrics that we're using to who we should think about their information? For us younger generation in the TikTok YouTube world, why do we decide that a person with a million follows or likes 
has information that I would need in my life, right? What are the metrics that we are using for who we listen to and who we follow? I want to say, so influencer culture can be dangerous, right? Rockstar pastor culture is, can be dangerous. Flashy dress, image, youth, all these different things can be dangerous because what are the metrics that we're using to say that that person should be able to, like, I need to listen to that person. What I want to say is to what Paul is saying here to the Philippian church, these people that he dearly loves is, listen, follow me, (laughs) right? Like, through our relationship and the way that we've interacted and the, my life and the fruit of my life, I, I, I want you to, if nothing else, see me as an example of someone that you should follow. Not because to hype me up, not so that I can get more follows, not so I can get more likes, but it's like, I, I want to disciple you. I want to mentor you. I want you to grow in your relationship with God. And so find someone that there is wisdom. Gray hair sometimes means wisdom. I don't have any yet, so I need to work on it. Someone that loves Jesus and not just says it, but you see it, right? Someone that is authentic, someone that you know is not perfect, but is wrestling and working through what it looks like to know intellectually and experientially know Jesus. Someone that is humble, right? Someone that is, is, admits their faults, that can say sorry, can admit wrong. Someone who walks the walk as well as the talk, right? And can, is able to talk the talk. You know, something for me that I, it's always been something that has been important to me um, ever since trying to figure out churches, like what church should I go to? And this is just a personal thing. But as, as I'm thinking about churches to attend or churches to go to, it's important for me to at least know the pastor or to at least know leadership of the church, right? So someone that I can, I, I can be friends with, that I can know, that, that they know my name, that they know who I am, someone that, I, that are approachable. Now, I know it's hard because, the, you know, a church gets a certain size. It's hard for if there's a singular person that is the pastor to be able to disciple 500 people. It's impossible. But this idea that, that, that you can know the people that you're, you're following, right? These are, these are things. So uh, I, I'm not saying this because Randall invited me here, but honestly, from what I have learned and observed in his life over the past couple years since knowing him, he is the kind of pastor and person that I would want to submit myself to and to follow, right? He's the kind of person, the kind of person that when he says something to me, I'm going to take it seriously. Finds people like that to follow. And finally, as we wrap up, Uh, Paul gives two different kinds of lives. Those that walk with Christ and those that walk that don't. (laughs) Um, Verse 18, it says, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of of the Christ, the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Now, uh, throughout Philippians, Paul has kind of been talking about some of these people that are, are threatening the church. So we have people that um, not only is like the broader Greco-Roman culture kind of threatening the church. I mean, there's syncretism, which means there's a, a billion different kinds, maybe not a billion, but a lot of different kinds of religions and philosophies and thought structures and, ways of, and ethics of ways of thinking about the world 
that are going on in Greco-Roman world, much like today, really. But um, there's also internal people. Like uh, last week, we talked about these people that come through and they say that in order to be saved, you must be circumcised. And Paul is very strong against them. They're the Judaizers, the people that uh, are trying to come in and, and have Christians and Gentiles conform to Judaism and the law rather than Christ. And so he's talking, I think, all of the above, but all of the above. It's people that have selfish gain, that are living their lives for themselves. They have their minds set on earthly things. They're focused on the now. They're focused on their self. They indulge whatever their mind, their heart, or their body wants. You know, one of the most dangerous phrases that our society and culture have is, follow your heart. <laughs> it's one of the most dangerous phrases because how do I know that what is in my heart is one of virtue and one that is going to be good? You know, when we do evangelism, uh, our young adults went out to the mall a couple weeks ago. And we just went around talking to people. And I do this little survey. And the first one is, what is your purpose in this world? And most people will say things like ha happiness, to pursue happiness, to do whatever. And what is people's, uh, like what is our, as collective humanity, what is our purpose on this planet? To do what makes you happy. Which sounds great. It really does. But the second question I always ask is, what's wrong with the world? And you know what, it's so funny because the answer that everyone gives is greed. People are only doing what they think is gonna make them happy, right? It's, there's this collective, we want everyone to be happy and that's the purpose of the world, but then what's wrong with the world is people are trying to be happy. There is this issue in the world of people living for self versus living for others. That is why if you are here and you are even thinking about Jesus as, as anything, that is why the words of Jesus and the person of Jesus are radically different than any thought structure or philosophy or religion that has ever existed. Because rather than here, do this, this, and this in order to do, get this, what Jesus is saying is I am here and I'm gonna show you true love by dying for you. <laughs> It has nothing to do with what you can do. It has everything to do with what I can do for you. It's this others-centered, self-sacrificing, submissive kind of love and person of Jesus Christ. That is not the world. The world is get what you want. And so as, as when we're talking about knowing Jesus intellectually and being formed by him, that our character would actually become like that that we can pursue do, doing great things in this world. We can pursue uh, having financial uh, security. We can pursue doing excellent in our work. We can pursue the, the promotion. We can pursue having a, a family that loves God. We can pursue a house in a great neighborhood. We can pursue wanting our kids to go to great schools. All of those things are fantastic and are good, but they all must be submitted under the Lordship of Christ. They all must be saying, you know what? All of this is for you, Jesus, because I want everything you've blessed me with, I want to bless others. I want to, as you've loved me, I want to love others. That's it. That's not who this person is that he's describing. This person that he's describing here is I want all these things for me. I want all these things for my security, for my whatever. And what Paul is saying as he continues in verse 20 is this, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like the glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. 
Two different kinds of lives, one that is living for self and in the indulging of self, and one that is living for something that is beyond this life. We see it over and over and over in Philippians, that Paul wants to know Jesus, and he wants to know the resurrected Jesus. He recognizes that all the stuff in this world is temporal, but he has a goal in mind. He's setting his focus on eternity with God forever. And one of the things when we think about eternity, there's only three things that are eternal that we know of. It's God has existed for eternity past and will exist for eternity future. His word, his word is eternal. These words are eternal. And the souls of men and women, the souls of men and women, we will, every single human being will exist for eternity. And so what Paul is asking us in the midst of the distraction, in the midst of the good things that we need to do in this world, we need to work, we need to do all these things. What he's saying is in the midst of doing all these things, make sure that our goal and our mindset is on eternity. Meaning that we care about and we value and we want to be about the things of eternity. We want to be about God. We want to be about his word. And we want to be about seeing men and women come to know Jesus so they can spend eternity with God rather than be separated from God. Two different kinds of lives, two different kinds of goals, two different kinds of aims. And so as practical application, really, I mean, for the sake of time, I'll just give one, is Think about what, what comes to mind with the sh- leaving stuff behind and straining forward, the distractions, the things that are weighing you down, the things that are the mental things, the emotional things, the, 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 the past things, all the, whatever came to mind. I want you to spend some time thinking through those, meditating on those. Confess them to God. Bring them to him. And then I, I challenge you to come, and whether or not it's today with the prayer, but I challenge you, to bring them to a loved one, a person you respect, a person like a Paul, like I described, right? Someone that you can follow and talk about those things. None of us have it together. <laughs> Paul didn't. We need each other. And we need the grace of God to transform us. And we need the grace and love that comes from the community of faith to transform and love us, right? So I'm gonna go ahead and pray as we move into communion. God, we thank you. We just thank you for who you are. We just thank you that you, Jesus, have the words of life. That what you talked about in Matthew 5 through 7, those words on the Sermon on the Mount, how you flipped our whole paradigm of this world upside down. You have the words of life. You have the words of eternal life. God, we want to be about you. We want you to be our focus. We want our eyes to be fixed on you. God, help us as the community of believers and as the gospel-believing communities, help us to be able to, to, to help each other, to come alongside each other, and as a community of faith, pursue you. Strain towards the goal. Go after the prize of knowing you, both intellectually and experientially, Lord. So, Lord, we just thank you for your goodness, and we pray that you would transform our hearts. Pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com.
Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.